athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. I think, I think, I think very deeply. In about four seconds, a teacher will begin to speak. I think very deeply. Big game was obviously a big hit between the Bengals and the Rams. And we're going to talk a lot about that today here on the program. I want to talk some NBA as Ben Simmons and James Harden have both spoken after that blockbuster trade on last week. We're going to talk about that today on the program as well. The halftime show at the big game was one of the greatest that I can remember seeing. And I'm not really, you know, I wasn't, I'm not really a big halftime guy, to be honest with you. It depends on who's performing. And when it was first announced as to who was performing, I'm like, this show is going to be off the chain. And it ultimately was because you added 50 Cent to the mix. I mean, 50 was okay, right? But Dr. Dre, obviously the headliner. You've got Snoop. You've got Eminem. You've got Mary J, you've got Kendrick Lamar, and then you add 50 Cent to that mix. It was absolutely unbelievable, and I enjoyed it very much immensely. I mean, we were sort of getting into it. It was a family affair at our house in terms of watching the big game. And so, you know, my wife and I are of a certain age, and so, you know, we were early teenagers, early 20s, when really when Snoop Dogg came uh, about, I mean, Dr. Dre's, I mean, to me, when you talk about hip hop, maybe the greatest producer to ever live. But let's not forget, Dr. Dre had many albums as well. Now, we can talk about who wrote lyrics for him, whether it was DOC or going back to the, the days of NWA. You can talk about Ice Cube. And by the way, do you feel like Ice Cube may have either felt a little bit slighted or was in fact slighted. I feel like when you're talking about an event of that magnitude coming to the city of Los Angeles, right? Now, I know NAS- I know Ice Cube was part of NASCAR the week before that came to L.A., which from my understanding was a big success. But, and I don't know the, all of the parameters and how all of it works. I mean, I don't know, like I'm not sure out of the five that were there, right, who you could have taken out. Now, to me, it would have been a a nice fit to have Ice Cube as your guest guest that wasn't originally supposed to have been part of the festivities. I thought that would have been uh, incredibly dope because when you think about Ice Cube, Ice Cube is L.A. And as big as Ice Cube is, is I mean you can look at him uh, from a now you know when you look at careers if you're talking about 
artists, right? I mean, compared to those artists, I, I don't know. I mean, Ice Cube was the man. I mean, you go back to the NWA days, and then you talk about Ice Cube as a solo a solo artist with a, with the EP he had that came out in ninety late nineties ninety one a time to uh, I forget what the name of the EP was but it was really dope it had like seven eight songs on it Jackin' for Beats was one of the songs you look at Death Certificate was tremendous and then it, it started it, it 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 he wasn't as much into hip hop sort of after that because Boys in the Hood came out he acted in that and then he really got into acting but when you talk about who is L.A.? Ice Cube is L.A. And I thought, I, I don't know if he felt slighted, but I felt slighted uh, for him. So the halftime show, Mickey Guyton and the Star Spangled Banner. Uh, I mean, Mickey Guyton absolutely blew it out of the water. She blew it absolutely out of the water, I thought. And so just the whole show and then the game in of itself was an outstanding game. So we'll talk about that today on the program you can join us on the conversation hit us up via twitter at box to row b-o-x-t-o-r-o-w i look at this football game and the Bengals definitely had some opportunities in this game i thought i thought that the rams coming in would win the game and and one of the reasons i i didn't trust matthew stafford entirely and he showed me why one of the interceptions he threw three touchdowns but also threw two picks one of the picks was not his fault the other one towards I think it was in the second quarter he tried to throw it uh tried to throw it up and he threw it short and was intercepted in the end zone now he had I'm going to tell you what that last drive was absolutely spectacular in terms of ball placement in terms of he, he threw a really a couple of really nice balls to Cooper Cup in traffic that Cooper Cup ultimately caught him by the way the fourth down and one call to get the ball in the hands of Cooper Cup on a wide receiver option and you know he he run he he gets past the first man picks up the first down pretty easily I thought that was a genius call and the reason why ultimately from an offensive perspective that the Rams ended up winning the game I told you last week I the Bengals offensive line not good I mean seven sacks six or seven sacks, two of those uh, by two Hall of Famers, and Aaron Donald uh, ultimately got two sacks, and Aaron Donald had an absolutely tremendous game. Von Miller was very good as well, and I thought that the experience would win out because if you if you looked at that game and you felt the flow of the game, I mean, and when the Bengals had that lead, and I mean, I, I, I thought the Bengals were going to win that football game, but that fourth down and one play was ultimate, it was a critical play. And ultimately, the um, Rams were able to come back. Cooper Cup was magnificent in this game. I thought that the MVP should have ultimately gone to Aaron Donald, like I think a lot of people do, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, listen, you look at some of the plays, I think the play where he pushed Joe Burrow out of bounds, and that was a legal hit, by the way, and then the sidelines got all fiery, um, you know, and from that point on, he just sort of really took the game over. And you look at the Bengals' drive, the last two plays, that running play when it looked like it was third, when it looked like it was it was third and one, and it looked like the Bengals were going to get that first down. I think it was P. Ryan that ran the football, and it, it looked like he had the first down all 
almost, and if he had stretched the ball out, he would have had the first down, and Donald just pulled him back, fourth down, sacks. Well, he didn't sack the quarter. He didn't sack Burrow, but he forced him to, to throw just a, a hell, uh, you know, just a, a ball to get rid of it to try to make a play, and ultimately um, uh, brought him down, and the game was over at that point. I think what happens, and I've covered a Super Bowl before. You cover these games where you – vote for MVPs, I think what happens is you vote for your MVP early on, right? So the MVP at that time, the, the, the voting by the writers or the media, more specifically, for the MVP was already closed at that point. So because, because even if you looked at Aaron, you could still argue that Aaron Donald could have been MVP even before the last drive by the Bengals. I think he solidified it with the plays he made on the last drive by the Bengals. It's just that those, I'm sure, if I'm, I'm pretty sure about this, having, again, been, been around and, and when you vote for MVPs of events and, and so on and so forth and having done it for the Super Bowl in the past, that was already probably midway through the fourth quarter. They were already closing the voting for the MVP. They may, I mean, that's something that may be worth revisiting and uh, making it so that, I mean, I get it. You're trying to get it in. It's a lot of people. You have to tally it. I mean, it's a lot that's involved in that. I get all of that. But I mean, I mean, the, I mean, yeah. Cup caught the game winning touchdown, which, by the way, was an excellent catch um, and a good throw by Matthew Stafford. A, 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 you know, he just threw it behind him and, and allowed for Cup to adjust. But uh, but Aaron Donald was an absolute man in that game. You know, uh, Beckham Jr. ultimately goes down in that football game. He was on, he was on, I mean, he was on his way to having a tremendous game. Okay, he was on his way to having an absolutely tremendous game. And, you know, had a couple of catches, went down, and the whole complexity of the game changed because now the Rams could play cup a little bit more. And see, if you think about it, you look at the total course of the game, See, and that's the other reason to me why Aaron Donald was the MVP. You look at the total course of the game. Now, he he didn't have a lot of maybe a lot of tackles and certainly not a lot of sacks early on, but he was so disruptive. Uh, to a lot of degree early on in the game, and that carried throughout the course of the game, whereas Cooper Cup had a really, really good second half, and in specific, uh, specifically, a really, really good fourth quarter. So, uh, but with that being said, the complexity of the Rams' offensive game changed, and not only that, the Bengals' defense was tough, did not allow for the Rams' to run the football. I thought that was a story in the game in terms of the lack of production by the Rams offense, especially early on. Okay. Now, it, I, mean, when I, I shouldn't say early on. I, really early on, it looked like it was going to be a blowout because the Rams able to move the football down the field really through the passing game. But after the first two touchdowns, it sort of went stagnant for the Rams. The Bengals clamped down, did not allow for a running game, really clamped down. And then ultimately, uh, the Rams were able to come back in the fourth quarter. So it was a great football game. We can talk more about the game uh, throughout the course of the program. Still to come here on Box to Row, my thoughts 
on Matthew Stafford and his quote-unquote legacy. Also, the NBA taking a bit of a break, so we'll talk some NBA to this point. And our Black History Month feature takes a listen back to a conversation with Jerry Rice. You've got it locked to Box to Row. Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timlake-Roll, founder of Marjorie's Beef Jerky Incorporated. We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every one million orders that we receive, our company is giving $2 million away to the bottom amongst 400 of our paid customers. You see, that's the way we roll! So come place an order at www.marjoriesbeefjerky.com. That's www.marjoriesbeefjerky.com. Marjorie's Beef Jerky is the best tasting beef jerky on this planet. Marjorie's Beef Jerky.com. Yeah, that's right, because that's the way we roll. The old Renaissance is the new Renaissance, standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsboro. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's, and in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. Check out Harlem Beer NC's feature in the News and Observer from Wednesday, and then go out and purchase your favorite Harlem Beer NC product today. More of Box to Row with Donald Ware is on the way. Box to Row.com is the website for all of your HBCU sports needs. From the game of the week feature to interviews to the latest news in the world of HBCU sports. Box to Row.com has you covered. Missed a week of From the Press Box to Press Row? Box to Row.com has all the archive shows. Don't forget to check out the All American teams and weekly media coaches' polls. From the Press Box to Press Row. And Box to Row.com. Your HBCU sports leader. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. From the Press Box to Press Row. Box to Row. Box to Row. Box to Row. Box to Row. Still Snoop Dogg and D.I. D.I. Guess who's back? Steve. It's Black History Month, of course. And we're taking a look. We're always celebrating Black History here on the program, but in keeping with the spirit of Black History Month, universally being celebrated in February, our Black History Month, listen back, a conversation with Jerry Rice as he appeared on this program back in 2013. 
But I'll tell you what, you don't have to wait to hear some of the great conversations we've had throughout the course of the time this program has been on the air. You can log into our website, radio-boss.com, radio-boss.com. Talk about black history makers, conversations with the likes of Tony Dungy, with the likes of Simone Biles, with the likes of Serena Williams. The list goes on and on with some of the conversations that we've had over the years, the likes of Cito Gaston, right? Former manager of the Blue Jays, right? Goes back, I mean, our catalog goes back a long way. Radio-boss.com, radio-boss.com for not only black history conversations, but some of the great conversations we've had over the years with this program. I want to talk Matthew Stafford. I'm going to talk some NBA, but I want, listen, I don't think that James Harden is ever going to win an NBA championship. I don't believe James Harden is going to win an NBA championship. Now you can look, listen, I mean, you, you have a situation where he, I mean, he, in essence forces, I mean, I, I guess in this case with the Nets, he didn't, necessarily force his way out although we don't know if it would have gotten to that point had they decided not to trade him he definitely forced his way out of Houston and now he gets his way and gets gone from Brooklyn right but I mean you know it's a situation where I think the Nets definitely win no question about it once everybody becomes healthy I mean you look at the Nets I mean I realize the Knicks aren't great but the Nets to come back from 28 points to beat the Knicks is significant because you have some other players that are stepping up. So just think when KD, Kyrie, and Ben Simmons are on the floor at one time, that's going to be explosive, just like it would have been had KD, Kyrie, and James Harden been on the floor at one time. I mean, that would have been explosive as well. I look at James Harden. I think he's a phenomenal player. There's no doubt about it. I think that Philly also got better but not as good, ultimately, I think, as a healthy Nets team. Now, if the Nets aren't healthy, if the whole vaccine mandate situation in New York doesn't change and you have Kyrie with his situation, I mean, can't, could. And the question then becomes, let's take Kyrie out of the equation. Can the Nets win with KD and Ben Simmons? In of themselves, I'm not sure about that. Katie can win, I think, with just about anybody. But you look at all the pieces around them, the Seth Currys, the Drummonds. You know, you didn't even have to give up Patty Mills. You know, you got the kid, his name is escaping me, that, you know, in, in essence, willed the Nets to the victory over the Knicks on Wednesday night. I mean, what is he going to do ultimately moving forward? You know that he's a piece, the Blake Griffins of the world, You know, I mean, the list goes on and on. But James Harden needed to be with this Nets team to win a championship. Now, Joel Embiid is playing like an MVP, no question about it. You know, you've got a Tobias Harris, right? But again, Tobias Harris has not lived up to the max contract that he ultimately got. You've got some nice young pieces, Maxi, et cetera. Is that enough 
from a talent perspective to carry the 76ers to the championship. It could be if the Nets aren't healthy or not playing the Kyrie situation, I think, moving forward. But I'm not going to disrespect the Milwaukee Bucks at all. I mean, if you look at the Bucks, I mean, the Bucks are still the defending champions. I mean, we were talking about the Bucks not being necessarily a championship team around this time last year. And ultimately, the Bucks were able to win the championship. I realize a lot of that had to do with the Nets and the injuries that the Nets had specifically. That said, I don't think... Now, if the Nets aren't right, I still don't put the 76ers, even with James Harden, who we'll see what happens after the All-Star break. He has, you know, a hamstring injury. I mean, how significant is that? Is it even a a, a big deal? Was it just something... I, I You know, we'll see. But I don't think that... The 76ers have enough to even make it to the NBA Finals. I, I think the Bucks are still that team that could beat them, and that doesn't even, you know, we're not even, I mean, let's not even talk about Miami and what Miami could ultimately accomplish with that roster. I mean, look at what DeMar Rosen is doing with the Bulls. I mean, he's, he's unbelievable. And I saw a stat that Wilt Chamberlain held the sixth and seventh spots in terms of all time with, players that have scored 35 points or more in a game and shot 50% from the field in consecutive games. And DeMar Rosen has done it, and, and that's still continuous because it'll continue after the break. He's done it eight times in a row. You know, so he's playing at an NBA caliber level. I thought, you know, when Toronto made the trade and he came to San Antonio, I thought it could be promising with Greg Popovich, what, he spent a couple of years there? I mean, it it looked like DeRozan's career, I don't want to say over, but it was certainly at a standstill, and now he's rejuvenated. That's a good Bulls team. That's a good Miami team. So I think the 76ers have a lot to overcome. We'll talk some more NBA later on in the program. I want to talk about Matthew Stafford. He wins the Super Bowl, uh, and big win. I mean, again, I don't I mean he he was good enough right like he made the throws that needed to be made and he was good enough to me and I don't think he was spectacular he you know I mean three two interceptions three of them I mean two uh, one of them was not his fault he threw the three touchdown passes in the game so I thought he was good enough to win but ultimately at the end of the day the Rams sealed the deal and Matthew Stafford is now a Super Bowl champion. I think that was one of the things that was missing on his resume was a Super Bowl in terms of when you talk about a legacy and you ultimately talk about a guy that is a potential Hall of Famer. I think it's a little bit too early to be talking about Matthew Stafford in terms of Hall of Fame, but it's not too early to be to, to be talking about him moving towards being a Hall of Famer and certainly a legacy. I look at those years in Detroit, 12 years in Detroit, ultimately only made it to the playoffs three times, didn't make a playoff appearance. Now, that's not Matthew Stafford's fault. A lot of that 
right? Like it's it's a team. It, it, everything that happens, it's the team, right? And sometimes it may be more on a quarterback or one specific player as opposed to, you know, another player or other players or the team in of itself. I think when you look at Detroit, Detroit's just a, it was just a bad situation. Like there were some 0-16 years. I mean, now, granted, Matthew Stafford had a Hall of Fame receiver to throw the football to in Megatron in Calvin Johnson. So, I mean, it's not like he was devoid of weapons throughout the course of his career. I mean, maybe you can look at, okay, the three years, you know, maybe those were three big years. Ultimately, when Detroit made the the uh, made the playoffs, Megatron or, or Calvin Johnson was a part of that. I, I can't remember that last one of those years, maybe, maybe, maybe he wasn't. I, I, I don't, I don't remember. He could have been meaning Calvin Johnson, uh, part of all three playoff appearances. But now, I would also say this: if we're talking about Calvin Johnson as a Hall of Famer, it's no doubt when he played. I mean, he was a superb player. He was the elite. Was I mean, I, I don't. I, you, we talk about best receivers in the league. I mean, if he played ten years, I mean, he had to be you know, six or seven of those years, the best receiver in the league. So I'm I'm not doubting his credentials. I just think that, to me, you know, I think you you need a little bit more of a resume uh, to make the Hall of Fame, but that's neither here or there. I think ultimately, especially when you're talking about the time frame in which Calvin Johnson made it to the Hall of Fame, he made it relatively quickly. He didn't have to wait a long time, all things considered. So I think... That helps to bolster Matthew Stafford's credentials moving towards a Hall of Fame career. But you look at the record of of Matthew Stafford, okay, in Detroit, and it wasn't good. I mean, he's got an overall 86-95 in one record, right? And and, and, and my apologies, you didn't have any 0-16 seasons. That was before, that was prior to Matthew Stafford. But, you know, he had a 2-8 and eight season. I'm looking at the numbers now. I mean, he didn't have, like, awful. I mean, it, you know, it, it, I, 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 I think sometimes when we think of Detroit, we just think of a bad franchise. But he didn't have any 0-16 seasons. As a matter of fact, he had a 2-8 and eight season. The worst full season he had uh, was what, when he, when he played the full amount of games, was, was five wins, a 5-11 and 11 season. He had some nine and seven seasons. He had an eleven and five season. He had a ten and six season. So it wasn't awful. He had good numbers, and I think that's what helps to bolster what Matthew Stafford is: ultimate talent, you know. But he has the numbers, and now that he has the Super Bowl, you can now start to begin to talk about the conversation of him possibly being in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I think he needs to have some more good years. In other words. If we were to say, okay, if Matthew Stafford stopped playing right now, would he be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? I would say no. I, I mean, I, I don't think he should be. I mean, would he be? Maybe. You know, you look at he's just five yards shy of 50,000 yards. 63% completion percentage, 323 touchdowns, 161 interceptions. He threw 41, interception, or 41 touchdowns in his career twice. Great numbers. Legacy, not so much, needs to do a little bit more, I think. Still to come here on the program, my thoughts on the NBA as we take a bit of a break. Up next, 
our Black History Month Listen Back, a conversation with Jerry Rice. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from Davidson to now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college at Davidson. Uh, it's a great story and uh, I'm just having fun you know, living my dream and riding the ride. That, of course, the voice of Bianca Belair. EST is in the building. And that's what Sasha Banks and I are going to do. We're going to uh, WrestleMania. We're going to create history. We're going to be the first two black females to have a title match at WrestleMania. I always say representation is it's not a request. It's a requirement, and I'm going to, to try to become SmackDown Miss Champion. But it's more than just creating a moment and becoming a champion. Just by us standing in the ring, we are representation for women and for Black women. And so that's an amazing feeling to be able to be that, be that person and be on that platform and the greatest of them all. And and be able to create history. It's just, it's an honor. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm excited I get to play for them. They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to, you know, go to work and, and know that you're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to cheer for you as loud as they can, no matter who you're playing. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, I was really focused. Just really, you know, excited. Rob Manfred is the commissioner of Major League Baseball players that have been accused in their career of using performance-enhancing drugs, should they be in the Baseball Hall of Fame? I'm going to focus on one word in your question, okay? Accused. Players who have tested positive or there's otherwise been real solid proof that they were involved with performance-enhancing drugs, I think that Hall of Fame writers are entitled to make their own judgment about those players as to whether they think that performance-enhancing drugs or their use of performance-enhancing drugs should prevent them from being in the Hall of Fame. You cannot determine who used performance-enhancing drugs by the way a player looks. It's simply not possible. The one and only Michael Strahan. Always good to talk to you. Hopefully next time it won't be, what, 14 years you get to it. <laughs> encouraging people to be better and do better and, and that's what i love man so thank you i appreciate you i'm talking about none other than common well i ended up in fam just because i wanted to major in business and fam you had the illustrious school of business then i found out that business was the key that's what i wanted to do nba all-star chris paul that was great to bring it back to one salem state university uh black college something that my city had never seen before may never see again and just having a up close and personal feeling with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Melogs. It was exciting. I'm grateful for those guys coming out. He is Stephen A. Smith. Congratulations on all the things y'all have done. Congratulations. Keep up the hard work. Went to Salem State where I had an absolute ball. The only part that was bad uh, was the basketball because my first year there, I cracked my kneecap in half. If I had one thing that I could do over, it would be that I would be there 100% healthy so I could really showcase what I could do. But outside of that, there's absolutely nothing that I would have changed. It was the greatest years of my life. Simone Biles. I guess I just go in there with a positive, open mind of just doing what we do in training and going out there and doing the best that we can do and just have fun with it. I didn't really think of the outcome, but I knew that we had been training hard and we were re- we were just ready. Greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown. Muhammad Ali was a principal person in the country at the time, and he stood up and said that he was not going to the service because it was against his religion. Called all the top black athletes together, along with Carl Stoke, the first black mayor of a major city. So. 
I'm glad you brought that particular incident up. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh, man, thank you for having me play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. Still, you football league has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have going to Division One. Kyrie Irving. Playing a Duke for Coach K. What was that like and how that prepared you for the league now? Playing 11 games, you know, a lot of people think that's not a you know, big package for you to become a better player, but for me it was. Playing for Coach K, he gave me the keys to, to the car and I was driving it in first eight games and you know, being a part of something special like that and having a brotherhood built at an institution such as that one is an experience that you never forget. Ice Cube has been our guest. Hey man, thanks for letting me talk a little music, movies, and sports. Hey, my favorite three topics. Hey everybody, what's going on? This is Anthony Anderson, international movie star and funny mother. <laughs> and you're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. From the Press Box to Press Row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU sports with a player for pro sports talk and entertainment. Check the show out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's From the Press Box to Press Row, real, relevant, radio. Our Black History Month Listen Back takes us back to a conversation with the one and only Jerry Rice. And we had a chance to catch up with Jerry Rice back in 2013. Phenomenal player, the best wide receivers regarded as the best wide receiver to ever play in the National Football League. Our Black History Month Listen Back with the one and only Jerry Rice. Absolutely. 1,549 receptions, uh, 22,895 receiving yards, 208 touchdowns. I think those numbers certainly speak That's for themselves. No, I, I, I needed more. I needed more. <laughs> if I was playing today, and, and the advantage goes to the receiver today, you know, because you, after five yards, you got to let the receiver uh, go downfield. And and if, if if your hands are on the receiver, there's going to be a flag thrown or something like that. So the advantage goes to the receiver a little bit. But uh, I had a great time, and I had a great cast of, of teammates that really helped me put up stats like that. And, you know, football is not an individual sport. It's a team sport, and, and I was able to go out there and uh, win some Super Bowls, and it, it, it was a fantastic ride. No question about it. And the thing about it, Jerry, guys kind of going through the draft now and we look at uh, 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 Teo and the fact a lot was made with the 4.8 that he had with the 40-yard dash. And, I mean, you didn't have the greatest uh, 40 time, but the fact of the matter is, I mean, how much how much do we stock do we need to put into things like this? I mean, guys like yourself are just football players and proved what they could do on the field. And that's the bottom line, and I don't know why they focus so hard on the 40. And I want to see a player, and especially a wide receiver. This is what I'm looking for at a combine. I want to see the guy. I want to see his lateral movement. I want to see him be able to drop his hips, come out of his, his cut without taking too many steps. And, and I want to see explosion off the line of scrimmage, and I want to see separation. And, and if you're able to see that, you know that this guy – can uh, really he can run by you or he can get the separation that he needs so the quarterback can see the lane and, and deliver the football. But for some reason, the focus, the 40-yard dash, and, and I remember when I first came out, they said, well, you know, he doesn't have blazing speed. But, hey, no one never caught me because <laughs> I had football speed. Right. Now, if you line these guys up and you put 
the entire uniform on them. I want to see the helmet, the shoulder pads, everything, and I want to see what they run in the in the forty yard, you know, the forty yard dash. And football is about stop and go, and and I, I just I just feel like it's it's not it's not fair to judge a player just by his forty time. You know, it's about being a football player, being able to contribute to that team, and uh, and. And you know, I when I look back over my career, you know, I just felt like I was I was fast enough to uh, to run by you, or I could uh, uh, you know run good routes where I could get separation where the quarterback could uh, deliver the football. That is the voice of the one and only Jerry Rice. Jerry, uh, and then we're going back to 2010 in terms of being named the greatest player ever in the NFL by NFL Networks. Uh, what does that mean to you? That means that I had some great uh, players around me, and I was able to go out there and and excel, and and just show my uh, my ability on the football field. Uh, you know, you look at Joe Montana, Ronnie Lott, Roger Craig, John Taylor, and the list goes on and on. And I think we worked together as a cohesive group, and that's the reason why we were able to uh, win so many Super Bowls, and that's the reason why. I was able to put up outstanding numbers. You know, uh, the best owner, Eddie DeBarlo, uh, the genius when it comes to Bill Walsh being able to inspire you to go out there and play your best football. And uh, we always wanted to uh, just go out and win football games. And if we didn't win during the playoffs, if we didn't get to the Super Bowl, it was like a cloud. It was a dark cloud here in San Francisco. And, and and the whole world just completely shut down for a little bit because, you know, we knew the expectations here in San Francisco and the players, uh, you know, they they looked at it, they stared it in the eye, and they welcomed uh, it 100%. And I think that's why we had so much success on the field. Man, and, and think about it, Jeremy, the, all the names you mentioned, Roger Craig, Ronnie Lott, Joe Montana, Steve Young, you look at John Taylor who played his ball, Delaware State. You're talking about some, yeah, like yourself, a guy that went to Mississippi Valley State. I mean, you're talking about some great players. Let me take you back to your days at Mississippi Valley State and all the records that you set. As a matter of fact, as a senior, you came in ninth in terms of the Heisman voting. What do you remember? And, you know, with the numbers, man, I mean, that you know, you should have been higher than that, but what, what what do you remember most about those days at Mississippi Valley State? Oh, man, Archie, the Gunslinger, Cooley, Willie, the Satellite, Todd, the tons of fun. We had that big offensive line. We had a running back that was probably built like uh, like a Kevin Johnson, you know, a guy that was just he really uh, could carry the rock. But you know what I remember is that the hard work, the dedication, and and and, and and Archie the Gunslinger Cooley, what he brought to uh, the swag, it was a no huddle. And after after we had so much success with that, you notice that some of the teams in the NFL started using the no huddle. And you had to be in shape for that. And the way we conditioned ourselves, we would pretty much wear the opponent down. In the fourth quarter, it was like they were exhausted and we are bouncing around just ready to go. So we worked really hard, and, and, and then we, we gained a lot of exposure from running that no-huddle offense, and uh, 
Then people started coming in. Scouts started coming in. They were curious. What is going on at Mississippi State University? <laughs> Why are these guys putting up, up unbelievable numbers? And, you know, that, that brought awareness to the school. And after that, I got drafted to the San Francisco 49ers. And everything just, you know, just fell in place. It, it really did. And, and I got to ask you about this because today, Jerry, we're seeing a lot of obviously black quarterbacks in the league and, you know, back during the 80s, not as many. What do you think with – because Willie Totten, I mean, put up some big numbers along with you yet didn't get his shot in the league. What are your thoughts on that? Was, it be, was that the climate at the time, the reason that Willie Totten didn't get his shot? Well, you know, what timing is everything in – at that time, they wanted to either cut, convert you over to a defensive player or, or uh, a wide receiver. And Totten was very talented. Totten could drop back and, and he could assess the field. And he had a rocket arm. He did everything that, that he could possibly do. Uh, but now you're starting to see like RG3. Uh, you know, Doug Williams really, really put uh, – put us on the map because he was the first black quarterback to ever win the Super Bowl. And, you know, Randall Cunningham, uh, from so many other black quarterbacks, you know, these guys paved the way. And, and I think that's why you're seeing so many guys out there now that that they don't look at as, okay, you know, this guy might play quarterback in college. Then all of a sudden they want to convert uh, this guy to playing receiver or running back, defensive back. Um, you know, I feel like we are very intelligent and we can go out there and we can uh, command the huddle and we can make it this, uh, good decisions to put the team uh, in position to win football games. Wrapping it up with the one and only, the legendary Jerry Rice. Jerry, we appreciate the time. Um, lastly, and once you retired, I mean, it was a foregone conclusion that you were going to be elected to the Pro Football uh, Hall of Fame. And that happened, of course, in 2010. But when it actually happened, when that day came, what were your feelings that day? Oh, my God. I was, uh, yeah. you, you, you know, you say you're going to control your emotions and you're going to do all that. You, you, you just don't know what, what you know, what's going to happen. And everybody, everybody kept saying, well, you, you're a shoe in. You're shooting. You're going in no matter what. But I looked at that just like the draft. I didn't know what was going to happen in the draft. I didn't know what was going to happen at the, the Hall of Fame. And once they called my name, I said, wow, this is unbelievable. Now I get a chance to go into another elite group of guys. You know, because when you go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, it means all your peers, everybody, you know, they feel like you're worthy, that you have done something for the game of football. And, and you deserve to be, uh, you know, in there with those guys. So when they called my name, the emotions came out. I thought about uh, B.L. Moore High School, the small school that I went to. I thought about, I thought about the small college I went to, Mississippi Valley State U- University, being able to represent them, go into the N- NFL, excel to show that, hey, you can come from a small black college and have success on the football field. So all of those things just factor in. And, you know, also playing with the San Francisco 49ers, winning Super Bowls, and and just watching people just go crazy. It was just amazing that I was able to really just touch so many lives and, and, uh, and have, you know, little kids look up to me. So all of those things factored 
into going into the Hall of Fame, and uh, it's a very unique club. The one and only Jerry Rice joining us back in 2013 on our Black History Month. Listen back here on the program. You think about Jerry Rice, and you can look at all the numbers. I mean, the numbers are there. There's no question about it. Time he retired, I mean, he was by far, far and away, in terms of numbers, the greatest receiver and one of the greatest football players. And, and by the way, at that time, uh, you know, shortly after his retirement, in a lot of circles voted the greatest football player to ever play. And to me, as I've said on this program many times, when I'm looking at pro sports, I'm less about the numbers. If I'm trying to, if I'm trying to say, okay, is somebody in a certain category, a certain class, are they a Hall of Famer? Sometimes I may use some of the numbers to either support that argument or I may look at it and say, okay, well, I don't really remember. Let me look at some of the numbers. I had a chance to see Jerry Rice play each week, okay? And you talk about great, not just a great receiver, great football player. When you think about the Super Bowl and think about it, he was playing in Super Bowls with Joe Montana and Steve Young, okay? One of those years when the 49ers won the Super Bowl, Jerry Rice was named the MVP. That's hard to do because most of the time the quarterback gets the MVP, and this guy was absolutely phenomenal for those that never saw him play. We'll be back. The old renaissance is the new renaissance, standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company, uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitbeer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh Market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsborough. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Salt Box, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's. And in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. Check out Harlem Beer NC's feature in the News and Observer from Wednesday and then go out and purchase your favorite Harlem Beer NC product today. It's Donald Ware from the press box to press row. Let's talk some NBA at the break here on the program a little bit earlier on. I was talking about the James Harden and Ben Simmons situation. I think in the press conference that Ben Simmons had, I think he said all the right things. Whether you believe him or not, he said all of the right things. He Most of the questions were in reference to his mental health. Remember, he mentioned that he was having mental health issues and he needed to take a break from the 76ers. Whether you believe him or not, I think he handled the press conference well. I think... Uh, listen, I think he's going to be fine with the net. All he has to do to me is a couple of things. Handle the ball well. Give me about 15 points a game. 
supposedly been working on his shooting, but most importantly, play defense. He can play, really has the ability at 6'10", to play all five positions, can guard anybody on the floor. Give me some deep, and I'll take that all day with Ben Simmons. I'm going to rely on KD, Kyrie to score. I got Seth Curry now, another three-point shooter. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, you know, Patty Mills. I'm telling you, the Brooklyn Nets are located. But I was talking earlier on also about the Bulls. DeMar Rosen is playing unbelievably. And you look at this team leading the Eastern Conference as we speak. The number one team in the Eastern Conference, the Chicago Bulls. Now, when all you, you look at the ball acquisition, to start this, you know, when we were talking about free agency, the addition of DeMar Rosen, I'm like, man, this is going to be a really good team. And I'm going to tell you what's interesting. I thought if I had to, as free agency had ended back in the summer, I said, okay, I'll go Nets one, Bucks two. Be, I, I couldn't pick whether I wanted to go with the Bulls or the Heat for number three and number four, for that matter. And wouldn't you know it right now, the Bulls are number one, followed by the Heat at number two. I think the Heat are really poised to make a run, much like the run that the Heat made going back a couple of years ago in the bubble. Ultimately, I think surprising a lot of people in playing in the NBA Finals. You've got an experienced coach in Spolstra, and you've got all of that talent. I mean, you you added all of those guys. I mean, that is a really good squad that the Heat has. I mean, can the Heat sustain that? I mean, I think the Heat can sustain it. I, I, where I, when I look at the Nets right now, the Nets are currently sitting at number eight. The Nets are going to climb. Would they climb at this point to a number one or a number two spot? Be hard to do. Listen, we're at the breaking point, but we're not at the midway point. Think about this. There are about... Somewhere, depending upon how many of each team has played, right, in terms of games. But there's somewhere between 21 and 22, 21 and 23 games remaining in the regular season. If the Nets, now, it's not inconceivable because if you look at the Nets record at 31 and 27, only six and a half games out of first place. So it's not inconceivable that the Nets could ultimately rise to the top. I think, you know, what does KD have? I mean, KD probably, I mean, I think he would have another, what, good couple of weeks after the All-Star break before he ultimately came back, before he's ready to rock and roll. Like, you don't want to bring KD back too quickly. I mean, if all the Nets want to do is make the playoffs. They don't want to be in that play-in situation. It's a one-and-done, and anything can happen. But if they're in the playoff situation, meaning one through eight, they're in good shape. And, by the way, per the rules currently established in New York City, per the vaccination rules, a lower-seeded Nets would be a good thing because Kyrie Irving would play, in essence, potentially, Four games on the road. So if you go a seven-game series, the object is to get to four games. You've got Kyrie for four games. You know, and I and I and I get it. Like I'm not for that. Like I'm I'm totally 
against that situation, but I don't really think that the Nets had much of a, of a choice. And I'm not in, it's been mixed results, right? In terms of Kyrie coming back, has that ultimately worked and helped the Nets to win some games? Maybe not. Remember the Nets had an 11 game losing streak before winning the final two going into the playoffs. So listen, the Nets just want to get in the playoffs and then ultimately healthy Ben Simmons, Kyrie KD, and then ultimately see what happens. But again, The Eastern Conference is loaded. The eighth team, again the Nets, only six and a half games out of first place with 21 to 23 games remaining. It's doable. But, I mean, I just think the way that the Bulls are playing is sustainable. The Heat, sustainable. The Bucks, sustainable. Now, the Cavaliers, I think it ultimately could be sustainable. I mean, this is a really good Cavaliers team, a really young team that I don't think a lot of people, and by the way, Sexton's out for the year, and they're getting this done even without Sexton. I don't think a lot of people, I know I didn't see the Cavaliers coming at all, right? And I and I like, and I, I think Garland, is a. I thought he was going to be a really good player, and he's ultimately been a really good player. You know, will the, I mean, you got to know that the 76ers, only three games out of first place right now, are going to make some moves. That 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 I mean that I'm not dismissing the addition of James Harden at all. I'm just saying that I don't think that the 76ers with James Harden is going to win a championship. I think they they've come closer now to winning a championship. And I mean I, I think so, right? But I'd also give pause to that because remember, they also gave up Seth Curry who was unbelievable, right? And Tobias Harris like I you know, he's, incons- he's a little bit too inconsistent for me. So you give up a shooter, a deadly shooter, who is one of the elite three-point shooters in the game. So that's a big loss, right? You, you know, Harden, you, I mean, you, you know, you got to think he's going to be focused, but you just don't know what you're getting ultimately from James Harden. I mean, I like the, you know, I look at the Celtics. Jason Tatum is unbelievable. Um, you know, Brown has come back from his injury. I mean, that's a good team. That's a good, solid team. I don't think it's a team that ultimately can challenge for the Eastern Conference. So if I'm looking at that Eastern Conference, the true contenders, to me, Nets, Bucks, Bulls, Heat, you got to throw the 76ers in there. And then everybody else, I mean, you know, bless the Cavaliers and what they're doing. Bless the Celtics. The Raptors have made some noise. I thought this was going to be a down season for the Raptors, but – Van Vliet is doing his thing, no doubt about it. I mean, then you can't sleep on teams like the Hornets. Remember, the Hawks were in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. They're not doing very well right now, but anything can happen after the All-Star break. What about the Wizards? I don't don't know about the Wizards, not without Bradley Beal. This is going to be a tough struggle for the Washington Wizards. Again, like I mentioned last week, like the addition of Kristaps Porzingis, to go along with Bradley Beal and uh, and ultimately uh, to go, uh, but but I just don't think that ultimately to Kyle Kuzma. But I just don't think that ultimately without Bradley Beal out for the season, that's not going to work. That's something that the Wizards are going to have to look to for next season. And by the way, the Wizards have have offered or had already offered Beal a max contract 
four-year deal. I think it was like $181 million. He has yet to sign it, but Bill is looking for a fifth year. I don't know that the Wizards are going to give him a fifth year, but I will say this. If Bill doesn't come back, then the Porzingis trade doesn't make any sense. would have not made much sense because I don't know. You can't. I don't think you can get it done with just Porzingis uh, uh, and ultimately Kuzma. Taking a look in the Western Conference, we're not talking enough about the defending Western Conference champion Phoenix Suns. Very good squad, playing very well. Best record in the league, 48-10 and 10 going into the All-Star break. Chris Paul looks like he has no signs of slowing down. Devin Booker has taken his game to another level, and you look at all the other pieces around those two guys. It is a really good squad. Now, listen, I like the Warriors. I like the young players. St- Stephen Curry has really struggled this year overall. He's had some stretches where he's had some really good games, but lately he's had some stretches where he hasn't played well at all. But Klay Thompson has been pretty consistent since he's come back. So you, you know, that, I mean, you, you don't lose a whole lot because now you've got Klay Thompson that's out there doing his thing. Then you've got all those young players that are, that are back. Um, you know, I don't know that you have to necessarily rush James Weissman back. I think he ultimately helps you, but you got to make sure that's your future. Like you got to make sure that that guy is right. Right. Like, right. So I, like, I'm not really in a rush to rush that guy back. I think the other team to watch Memphis Grizzlies, they have, they're, they're young. They have no idea what they're doing. And that presents, that's scary. Okay. That is scary. John Morant has been absolutely unbelievable. You can see why he's an all-star starter because he has had a magnificent season. And I really like, like, I like the Grizzlies to be in the conference finals. You know, the Warriors are good. I think they'll get it together. But, man, the Grizzlies scare, they should scare a lot of teams because they're so young, have no idea what they're doing. As long as they can stay healthy, the Jazz in fourth place, like, I'm not, Jazz went a little bit further last year than they had in previous years. But I, I, I just don't think the Jazz are going to really make any noise. They could surprise me. You know, you look at the Mavericks adding Dinwiddie. Eh, you know, I don't think the Mavericks are going to challenge. The Nuggets, I don't think the Nuggets have enough to challenge. If Jamal Murray had been healthy, then we, we could have seen, you know, you got to respect what the Timberwolves are doing this year. The Clippers, I don't. if Kawhi doesn't come back, then ultimately I think the Clippers have really done a yeoman's job this season, but ultimately, I don't think we'll challenge the Lakers, boy. I don't know. That's why LeBron went, wanted to get Russ, because now 80s hurt again, right? And Russ, I don't know. Ho- hopefully, Russ can come around in this latter half. My time is about up. I thank you for yours. For more information on Box to Row, all you have to do is log on to our website, BoxToRow.com. And always remember to support those that support your box. Toro is produced by DWPHRS.